Why do we bother with Easter? Why do we bother with Easter? What is the point of it? I guess if you're sitting here today, you're probably thinking, well, of course, it's probably more than just chocolate or or bunnies and things like that. It's more than just a break from work or a break from school. It is an important time of year as we remember Christ and what all that he did for us. But it's not it's not something that's you know we're commanded to, to do in scripture to kind of do it this way or anything like that. Have you ever stopped and just thought, why do we do this? What's the real goal? What is the aim of celebrating Easter together? Well, we're going to conclude our kind of mini series in worship uh, by suggesting that I think the key, a really key reason why we should celebrate Easter is, is to help us grow in our worship of God. Uh, if you've not been here for the last couple of weeks, we've been thinking about worship. Well, we started by just saying, what is it? What is worship? And uh, a little definition uh, that, we can, uh, that I can put up here. Worship is our response to who God is and what he has done by humbly bowing in reverent awe and submission and serving him with our whole lives in the power of the Spirit. And that's what worship is. It's a whole life response to, 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 to who Jesus is, to what God has done for us. And surely the goal of Easter should be for that to increase, for us to, to deepen our kind of heartfelt response to the gospel, praising him in, in reverent awe, as it says there, kind of noting a, a more fuller, a deeper commitment perhaps to, to serving him with our lives. We've been thinking about that in previous weeks. And that's why today I wanted to take us to this passage in Revelation, uh, because it's going to help us see really clearly the one who is worthy of our worship. And really, hopefully, it's going to help us see and understand why it's such a joy for us to worship Jesus together. Now, you probably read it and thought, wow, this is a strange passage. There's some weird stuff going on. It's a challenging thing to understand. And we're not going to focus on all the imagery today. We're going to look at some of the sort of big, bigger points, the big things that it's saying to us. If you're confused about symbolism and things, come and find me afterwards. I'll be happy to talk through it. But in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, what's happening is that that John has this incredible vision of God's heavenly throne room and what's happening there. Uh, And chapter 4, if you you go away and read that, you'll see it's just this amazing vision of eternal worship, of just this, of God's glory and and staggering beauty and detail uh, set out for us. But then in chapter 5, it it moves, uh, the focus kind of moves to a lamb. It moves to a lamb. And that sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? So we're going to look through, we're going to see why that happens. Uh, and I'm going to start, my first point starts with a question, which is this. Have we truly grasped the depth of our unworthiness? In verse 1, if you've got your Bible there, you'll see that uh, John looks up and sees a scroll in the hand of God. And it's got writing on both sides of the scroll. And that's kind of just showing that it's complete. Nothing needs to be added to it. It's, it's perfect, and it's sealed with seven seals. Uh, again, perfectly sealed, which means it can't be opened by just anyone. Uh, in sort of medieval times, you used to have those wax seals, didn't you? That You'd squash over the, the letter to stop anyone gaining access, unless it was opened by the worthy person. They'd be able to tell uh, if it wasn't. Uh, that, and, and to have seven of them, seven, it's kind of this sign of perfection. Perfectly sealed. And it needed someone worthy to come and open it. We don't know what the scroll contains, because John can't see inside. We see that. He said, I couldn't even see inside it. Uh, But we know it's important. It's it's in God's right hand. It's kind of a sign of power and authority 
It's really important to what's going on in heaven. But in verse 2 we see there's a big, big problem. We've got this mighty angel standing and saying, who is worthy? Who can come and open this scroll? Well, look at verse 3. Look at what happens. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. That's the bad news. No one. No one could be found. Not even the angels. No one on earth. No one under the earth. No person. No animal. No one could be found to open the scroll. Even peek inside it. No one was worthy. And I think John's response actually should help us maybe feel the weight of this moment. Do you see what happens in verse 4? He weeps and weeps. He's filled with sorrow and despair because no one can be found. No one is worthy, and it's like his heart breaks. He just, just he, 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 he sobs and weeps. His heart is broken. What we're seeing in this vision is really what the Bible observes, maybe what Paul says uh, really helpfully in Romans chapter 3. In verse 10, he says this, There is no one righteous, not even one. He goes on to say in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous. We have all sinned. That is the reality of of us as humans, the human condition. That is the biggest problem facing the world. There is no one who has not sinned. And John's reaction is quite powerful, isn't it? I wonder if you would have had the same one in in that moment. He weeps and weeps. You know, we've already, we've already read the passage. We kind of know what's coming next. We've got the good news coming. But actually, I wonder if that sometimes makes it lose some of its impact because we kind of know so it doesn't hit us in the same way. But as John, who maybe hasn't, you know, he hasn't seen the vision yet, he weeps. He is broken over this. You see, the heart of this, uh, of this disciple of Jesus, he is pained over the, this situation that humanity is fallen and sinful and without hope. And actually, we see a sort of tearful reaction uh, regarding sin several times, even in the New Testament. Think about Peter, who, who denied Jesus three times as Jesus went to his crucifixion. And then he realizes when, when the cockerel crows, his heart breaks, he weeps bitterly, he breaks down because he realizes what he's done. In Philippians 3.18, it says, As I've often told you before, and I tell you now again, even with tears... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. See, what makes Paul tearful is the fact that, that there are people rejecting Jesus, not following him, not, not putting their trust in him, not finding that love and that salvation. And he's weeping over the plight of people. When was the last time you cried? And what, why was that? Was it physical pain? It doesn't take a lot for my children to cry if they fall over and hurt their knee or something like that, you know. It hurts. It makes us cry. Perhaps as we grow, it's, it's more things like grief and the turmoil of, of pain in our lives or pain in the world. I remember feeling that really closely when I was at my grandmother's burial. And we were standing around the, the gravesite as a family. And I just saw... My granddad just break down and the pain and the grief of him burying his wife of 70 years. And that, that got me, you know, I broke down as well. I, I, I wept. I, I was grieving with him sort of at that moment. There's something about tears, isn't there, that, that help us express how we feel. That They're a really good thing to do that. That show we, we feel something really deeply. 
So when was the last time you wept over your sin? Or maybe the, the sin, uh, you know, the, the plight of people, all of us. It's too long, perhaps, since I've been on my knees just in tears over my own sin. Or the, the situation of those with no interest in God. Is that something you've ever done? It should be something natural, I think. Like we see in John, it just, it just happened. He couldn't stop himself because sin was so horrifying to him. This idea that it was so awful to God that no one was worthy. It, how it had ruined everything. It's horrible to think, isn't it? Actually, that each one of us, this very week, even this very day, have done and thought and said things that are sinful, that deserve God's wrath, that, that ultimately sent Jesus to the cross. Oh, friends, it should cut us to the heart. We can perhaps become cold to the reality of, of sin in our lives. We need, to, we need to stop. We need to, to, to be broken about this. But actually, we see that there's, there's good news coming here. In fact, the very next verse, John is told, Don't, do not weep. But I think before we get there, didn't we just want to pause and just go, do you know what? Yes, we need to acknowledge that we have rejected God. We've turned away from him. So why don't we just pray briefly. Well, it's a couple of moments of quiet. Ask for God's spirit to show you the, the horror of, of sin. That we wouldn't be ignorant of, of the weight of it, of, of its effect on history. Just take a moment and then I'll pray. Father, seeing John's reaction in this passage should help us perhaps react in the same way, that our sin should cause us to grieve and should cut us to the heart, that we have turned away from you. You are our creator, you made us, and we have rejected you. Please convict us of this, Lord. Please help us see where we have turned away from you and fill our hearts with sorrow and grief at how we've done that. Please, Lord. Have mercy on us. Amen. Now you probably think that's a bit of a strange thing, isn't it, to consider on Easter Sunday. It's supposed to be a moment of victory and joy and this guy's standing in the front talking about sin for five minutes or whatever. But I feel like we just, we've, got to get, we've got to get the, the, bat, the awfulness of it before we can then get the, the really good news that, that comes after it. Which is what we see in the rest of the chapter. We see that, that we can worship the one who is worthy. Look at verse 5. One of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, verse 5 has the only command in the passage. It says, do not weep. See, it's like, stop doing that and look instead. Just look at what's happening. Do you see what's happened? Someone has triumphed. Someone has overcome. Someone is worthy to open the scroll. Who is it? It's the lion of Judah. The root of David. These, these are Old Testament names for the Messiah, for Jesus. These are titles that speak of his power and his kingship. He is the lion-like king who has conquered. He is victorious. There's no more doubt about the outcome. He, he has done it. He is worthy to open the scroll. He is righteous and perfect. He is not ruined by sin. But then when John looks up to see a lion, do you see what he sees? In verse 6, he sees a lamb looking like it had been slain. Now that's the complete opposite picture, isn't it? I've put up on the screen a a picture of a lion looking really majestic 
And a, a little lamb. Lambs, they look a bit goofy, don't they? They're kind of innocent and small and weak. Is that what you expect of a mighty king? But it's this lamb that comes and takes the scroll from the father. And it's just amazing. Do you know what happens? As soon, as soon as he takes the scroll, there's this amazing eruption of praise and worship. Everyone in the throne room just falls down before the lamb and they sing a new song. Verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Wow. This is a special moment. This is a new song they're singing. This is a, a new thing that has happened. Because now there is someone who is worthy. The lamb who was slain. It, you see the importance of, of lambs all the way through scripture. Think about, we were thinking on Good Friday about Abraham and Isaac. And actually how Isaac was spared because a ram was sacrificed. And all the way through, that God's people, they would sacrifice lambs. And then when Jesus came, remember John said, look, here comes the, la- the lamb of God who takes away uh, the sin of people. And that's what he did. As he died, it says he purchased believers from every tribe and tongue and nation. Wherever we're from, whatever our background, there is no one excluded from this, this promise of salvation, this promise of mercy and forgiveness. Anyone can come to him he is the lamb who was slain you like that who was slain he is not slain now he is risen now he is alive he is resurrected and new that's what makes him worthy of this praise and worship death could not hold him he was laid in a tomb and three days later he was alive again and now he will reign forever that's that that's the good news that's why we're here celebrating today and that's what happens in the throne room Verse 12, all the angels, countless angels, they surround the throne, they join in the song. They say, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then it goes even wider. Do you see every creature on heaven, on earth, under the earth, on the sea, all that is in them, everywhere, everything that has ever existed or been created, also sing this song. To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. It's a, a staggering image. It's an image we maybe can't really get our heads around properly. This, this picture of just overwhelming praise and adoration and worship. All because the Lamb is worthy. Isn't it exciting do you see that, to, to see how the tone changes in this passage? You've got this, this moment of deep horror. that The awful truth that no one is worthy. And then you've got this amazing joy and adoration and worship when we see that that, that's not true. That Jesus, the Lamb of God, who was dead but is now alive, is worthy to take the scroll. To do all that is required. To to be victorious over death and sin and Satan. And it says believers are made into a kingdom and a priesthood there to serve God with their worship. They're going to reign with him in the new creation. It's just a moment reminding us of God's grace. He has shown us such love that completely undeserving, he he died to save us. He gave up everything so that we could be welcomed in to God's family. We could be part of this. And because he is alive, we have that assurance of what we look forward to. So earlier I said, it's good to feel grief over our sin. But now 
we need to do what the elder says in verse 5. Do not weep. See. Stop, stop crying. Stop grieving. And see the truth. See the good news that has come in. So with that in mind, let me ask you a question. Just one final question, which is this. Will you join in heaven's song? Will you join in heaven's song? Do not grieve. See. See what this passage is saying. That yes, we, we do want to, to, to feel that grief of sin. To, but as we do that, that's what helps us grasp just how incredible this news is that we have been rescued. We are safe. We are forgiven. Today is a day to look up, to, to remember what Christ has done for us. To worship him as our risen lords. To see the truth that we are safe with him. Our grief turns to joy. Because from the, from the depths of our sin, from the depths of our despair and our lostness, he has bought us by his blood. He has made us part of his kingdom. Members of his family who are loved and forgiven and will reign with him there. Friends, if you, if you are a believer here this afternoon, I just hope that this, there's something in this passage that's just leading you to respond in that same way as the throne room. That, that deep rejoicing, that maybe the humble worship, that we don't, we don't deserve to be there. But we can worship the Lord Jesus. He is alive forever. Such good news. And as we come to Christ, that's what happens. Our weeping turns to joy. We are safe. We are forgiven. Without Christ, there is no hope. All is lost. But actually, we see that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is worthy of our praise and worship because he conquered death and sin. We move from a place of no hope to a place of absolute certain hope. He is victorious. He has overcome He has done it all for us. That that kind of story, really, that kind of tone change is, maybe maybe it's true for you, but it's definitely kind of was a key moment in my own testimony of faith. I I grew up in a Christian family. I became a Christian when I was about 14 years old, uh, when I heard and when I understood the gospel for the first time. But in those early years, I'm not really sure if it really, how deep it went, if you know what I mean. Kind of, I was really concerned about trying to impress other people, I was struggling with sin and and too ashamed to talk about it, to bring it to God, to bring it to other people. And it was on my gap year. I did a gap year with London City Mission, a Christian charity. And I I lived with some Christian friends uh, who were kind of like my family for the year. And we were, I remember one particular occasion we were reading and we were praying together. And it was a real close time of of worship and prayer with, with God's. We were thinking about just how foolish it was to be self-righteous, to kind of try and be impressive within ourselves. And I was praying with a friend, and I just remember it's like the clouds in my head and the clouds in my heart, they they cleared away. And I saw for the first time really clearly the the true depths of my sin, how twisted, how how evil I really was, all the ways that I had rejected God and gone my own way. And I just remember sitting next to this guy just breaking down in tears, weeping, crying out, almost like shouting like in sorrow to God. And yet at the same time, as that kind of thing was happening, it wasn't hopeless because it was more than just a sense of sin. It was a realisation of what Jesus had done for me, that, that when he had died, that he had taken all of my sin on himself, that I was clean and forgiven and loved by him. I moved from this moment of just overwhelming pain and shame of sin to, to, to realising the overwhelming love and acceptance and joy of how Jesus has loved me and rescued me. And I didn't have to pretend to be someone that I wasn't because he loved me as I was. 
I was welcomed into God's family. God was my father. He was never going to let me go. It was a real moment where my faith was deepened. I gained confidence, perhaps, in my risen saviour. I saw something similar to what John saw here, that kind of big transition, and realising that Christ was victorious, and that he was for me. He, He had died to save me. He loved me. It's such a liberating, wonderful thing to realise, isn't it? So will you join in this song this afternoon? Whether you're feeling brilliant today and you're, you're full of joy uh, at Easter or maybe everything seems to be falling apart and you, you, you can't understand why. Will you lift up your voice? Will you sing that the Lamb is worthy? Will you praise him for, for what he's done for you? From the depths of our sin we've been rescued, we've been lifted up. We have been given life and hope. He is worthy of that worship. And it's more than just singing, isn't it? I, I, I'm, I'm using, you know, will you join in heaven's songs, talking about how we live a whole life of worship. Everything we do for his glory, for, for his honour. I think we, should, we will pray in a minute that that would be the case for us. But maybe you're reading this passage thinking, well, I've never felt that. I've never felt that deep sorrow or even that deep joy. It's just never quite, I've never quite, it's never hit me. We encourage you to, to go and pray and read God's word and, and ask him to work in your heart. Listening to good Christian music, I find, helps me express what sometimes I can't think about myself, but it just helps me express how I feel. I find that really helpful. And if you're struggling, if, you, if you're not sure, then come and pray with me or pray with someone. We'd be glad to do that. It'd be a great privilege to do that. But I'm conscious as well, there may be people listening in the room or on the live stream that that are not ready to sing, not following Jesus, not interested at all in who he is, in what he has done. I just want to encourage you really to come to him. Ask yourself today, is there anything else? Is there anything that could possibly be better than this offer of salvation from the God who created the universe? Maybe there's other things that, that you're looking to for hope. Are they firm? Are they reliable? Are they unable to fail you? We can put our hope in money, can't we? Never lasts. It doesn't give us that security. We can put our hope in people, but they always let us down eventually. We can put our hope in our own fitness, our own health, but it doesn't work, does it? Our bodies grow older. We ache, we, we get ill, we die. We can put hope in our friends, our family, but then we get hurt and it's painful. There's all sorts of things we can put hope in, but there's only one person you can truly turn to that offers this wonderful, certain hope. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the worthy lamb who died to save you. And he's calling you today. Come to him. Come and join this, this wonderful song of worship. Find the hope and the love and the forgiveness that he offers you. You can talk to him right now in the quietness of your own heart. You can speak to someone afterwards if you're not sure what any of this means. Come and ask us some questions about it. I hope that looking at this vision this Easter Sunday has been encouraging. It's just been something that that can thrill us again at at the, the wonderful truth that we worship. Someone who is worthy of everything. He is the risen Lord Jesus. He is the Lamb who was slain. He is slain no more. He stands victorious. Uh, and we, uh, we can stand forgiven with him. It's good news, isn't it? <laughs> Hopefully it helps us make it, to make it more easy for us to lay down our lives for him. For his sake, because he is worthy of everything. I'm going to finish by uh, playing a, a recent song by a, a man named Andrew Peterson. I've mentioned before, he's one of my favourite 
uh, Christian singer-songwriters, and uh, we sang, remember at Christmas, we sang one of his songs, the, the Matthews genealogy. But this is a song um, based on Revelation 5, and it's beautiful because it's almost like a sung catechism, uh, and it's really helpful because it, I think it just helps us remember that all of this truth that applies to us together as God's people, we're united together by the gospel. It's not just an individual thing, it's, it's all of us together that we give him praise and worship because he is worthy. If you know it, you can sing along. If not, just have a look at the words as they come up, reflect on them. They just remind us again of, of who the worthy one is. Thanks.